Hey, welcome to Unchained. Glad you guys are here. And uh, we have a uh, very special treat. Casey LaCour has been uh, helping to oversee a lot of our mission stuff this past couple years. You've been on staff here now for how long? We've been in the building three, and it was a good year, four four years something. Is your... Uh, let me see if we got... Uh, Unmute. Oh, oh, there, there I am. There All right. And, uh, and, and so I asked Casey, or Brenda and I asked Casey to kind of share tonight some of our missions philosophy and some of the stuff that she's learned. Yeah. And because uh, we just got to tell some more people about Jesus. We do indeed. Yeah, that was a good song. I thought, well, that was planned, wasn't it? <laughs> Hi. It's really nice to be here and see all of you here tonight. Well, um, Wednesday... Michael, or Brenda did the little intercom thing. Hey, Casey, can you come to my office? So I trucked over there, and Michael and her are sitting there and said, hey, how do you feel about sharing it Unchained this weekend? And I really surprisingly quickly said, sure, sure, I'll do that. And then I walked to the office and thought, why did I say that? And why did I agree to it so quickly like that? And Jesus quickly reminded me the reason is is that I've been preparing you for this, Casey. Every time I've gone on a missions trip, I have thought I knew exactly what I was going to be teaching. You're going to do one sermon here, you're going to teach this here, right? The people who have been on me are all laughing right now, have been on trips with me are laughing because they know the truth is that it never works out that way. And so every time I've gone to Mexico, I've ended up in my hotel room while they're down swimming, and I've been uh, typing away on my computer and figuring out what I'm going to do, how am I going to write this message in the very short amount of time that I have. And every single time, Jesus has been right there and he's just come through for me. And this last time, I was just in Uganda, and I thought, I'm going with folks from Anaheim Vineyard. There's a pastor that's leading the trip. I'm not leading the trip. I'm going along. I'm going to teach learning how to pray like Jesus. That's it. Right? I'm not bringing my computer with me. Right, you're laughing, you know. You know Jesus. <laughs> you know how this works. <laughs> right. So we get to um, Kampala, which is the capital city, and to my surprise, to Jamie, who is the lead pastor on the trip, surprise, they hand out the itinerary, and on Wednesday, the evening service, it says, Mama Casey. Somehow they already knew I was old. That's like a term of respect and endearment. So I got used to it. Um, that Mama Casey was going to be preaching on Wednesday night. Oh. Mama Casey doesn't even have her computer with her <laughs> or anything. In fact, I started writing my sermon as I felt like God was giving me ideas on post-it notes. Yeah. Finally, I got some real paper and <laughs> managed to get an outline down and actually wrote it out by hand, and, and that's what I used. So I shouldn't be surprised that on probably the busiest week, I just get back, I'm still trying to get my legs under me. It's free for five, you may have noticed, which is kind of a busy week for everybody around here. And my grandson, who lives in Madison, Wisconsin, who's nine months old, right at that age where they're starting to get the um, detachment, you know, they're getting uh, leery of strangers and all that kind of stuff is going on. We don't see him very often. His parents come, hey, we're here. Here's our baby. We're leaving. And they fly off. And the first night, I'm up 
every hour with this child, and every time he looks at me, he puts his head down and goes, oh. <laughs> you are not who I want to see. <laughs> so, no big surprise that that would be <laughs> right the time that I'd be like, okay, great, Jesus, <laughs> what do you have for him? Let's, let's do it together. So, anyway, here we are. He showed up, I think, and uh, he's got some stuff to tell us about. I want to start by praying, and then we'll get going, all right? So, Baba, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here tonight. And we just want to see you show up. So, Baba, would you just come? Would you be here? Would you make our hearts right now soft? to ways that you want to challenge us, to things that you want to tell us. Even now, would you just be right here with us? In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. All right, so I really want to take this opportunity. I have just come back for you, from Uganda, but I can tell you that um, I know that I have not even really begun to process that trip. I'm leaving for two weeks of vacation. I'm leaving and going to be in a kayak for four days, and I'll do a lot of processing on the water. So I'm going to talk about Uganda specifically in September at a fireside chat. I'll, I'll tell you a couple of stories about Uganda, but, um, but this is really going to be more about missions, Duluth Vineyard, what's our vision for missions here, why do we think it's important, and what's God, what do we think God is doing right here, right now, with missions at Duluth Vineyard. So that's really what I want to talk about. And when I think about missions, I think of maybe an unlikely verse. Maybe it's not the first verse you think of when you think of missions, but this is the verse I think of, and it's Daniel 4.3. And this is in the message version that you're seeing there. His miracles are staggering. His wonders are surprising. His kingdom lasts and lasts. His sovereign rule goes on forever. So like I said, I, I know that verse doesn't just apply to missions. That's a verse that we can all hang on to every day. And we should all hang on to it every day. But there is something about leaving the comforts that we have in this country and putting yourself in situations that you're incredibly uncomfortable with, that you have no idea who's going to ask you to preach a sermon next or what the heck you're going to be asked to do next and how God's going to push you and stretch you that makes those words really come alive and really pop. I don't know how many of you have fasted for an extended period of time, but when you fast for an extended period of time, there's something that happens, and it's almost magical. There's this sense in which you, things get clearer and things um, just are sharper. And that kind of thing happens when you go on a missions trip. So this verse really comes to the forefront of my mind, and when I'm somewhere where overseas, I'm looking for those staggering miracles, and I am looking for him to surprise me around every corner and I am so excited that we get to engage and be a part of this kingdom. The only thing that's going to last through eternity is the stuff we do in the kingdom. And we all get to be a part of that. And we're all called to be a part of that every day of our lives. But that's where it really hits me the most is when I'm on missions trip. So there's four, four main uh, reasons that we go on missions trips 
here at Duluth Vineyard, and one of them is to give away the abundant teaching and training resources that we've been given here. Now, I don't know how many of you have been in churches other than the Duluth Vineyard Church, but if you have, you probably know that the opportunities that you have here to learn things, to go to workshops, to go to classes, to learn how to pray like Jesus, to learn how to serve like Jesus, to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus, we are so immensely blessed here, so immensely blessed. And I'm grateful to Michael and Brenda for that to be the case, that they have given us all of this rich, rich teachings. And when I go other places, I am struck by how little of that kind of teaching they have. And even while, when I taught the, the learning to pray like Jesus, the other people that were with me, the vineyard people who were with me, like, hey, we want that stuff. <laughs> Give me a, send me a copy of that stuff when, when you get home. So it's a, it's a gold mine that we're sitting on here, and we don't want to sit on it. We want to give it out here, but we want to give it out other places too. And I think that's part of what God's doing because it's really, really greatly needed. And, and even as I say that, I want to make one little clarifying statement about that. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how things are set up in Mexico. I go... Um, have taken trips to Mexico twice a year for the last couple of years. We go to Mazatlan, Mexico, and anticipate we'll continue to do that. We have a partnership with them, and I'll continue to be doing that probably once a year. So if that sounds like something at some point that you think, gosh, Casey, I'd like to be a part of that, or the Uganda trip when I talk about that, or other trips that you see come up, you know, let's talk about that, okay? So, so be thinking about that in the back of your mind. But let me tell you a little bit about how things work in Mexico. And you may know that um, we give, have given half of our Christmas Eve offering away to Kyle and Ellen Benefield, who are church planters in a small colonial in Mazatlan, Mexico. And Kyle and Ellen are amazing. And Kyle and Ellen get all of this stuff, and they do it, really in an amazing way. So when I'm talking about um, bringing resources to Mexico, I'm not so much talking about Kyle and Ellen, so I just wanna make a little bit make that distinction, and I'll explain kind of what that means even more. When we go and spend time with Kyle and Ellen, mostly what we do is we pray for Kyle and Ellen, and they love that. We do prophetic ministry, we pray for their people, and we do some teaching, sort of tag team teaching with Kyle and Ellen. And they say, come and, and preach on, you know, on Sunday nights for us, Casey, because it's good for them to hear it. Even though a lot of it is similar stuff, it's good for them to hear it from somebody other than just us. So, so that situation is a little bit different. So not thinking about just Kyle and Ellen here. Let me talk to you about kind of how the rest of the Mazatlan, Mexico um, thing works. There's a church, a Lavinia, in the golden zone, the golden zone is the tourist zone. So the golden zone is where you, where you go in Mazatlan and there's the big hotels, the beautiful beaches. You can use your credit cards. You can use your American dollars. You don't have to know how to speak Spanish. You can get food that um, you can feel safe eating. You can, mostly. You can. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's where the Lavinia Church is. It's in that golden zone. So that's the main hub church. That's the central point. There's about 100 people who go to that, that church 
during the height of the, the tourist season. So these are mostly Canadians and Americans who spend six months, nine months of the year living in Mazatlan, and then they go back to their homes in the three months of summer or whatever it is. So it's a little bit unusual. It's not like, you know, maybe what you'd think of as a typical church. And then out of that church, there are 14 what they call feeding centers. So these are feeding centers that are in the small colonials in Mazatlan, a colonial sort of like a neighborhood in Mazatlan around the area. And on Saturday mornings, they feed children. So a lot of the children there aren't getting a lot of really good meals. They're not... Um, maybe starving or in this type of situation that a lot of kids might be in Africa. But still, they're not getting a lot of, you know, really good solid meals. So this gives them an opportunity to get a good, healthy, solid meal. And then they tell Bible stories and teach some Bible lessons. From that platform then, the idea is that, that a church will end up coming into that area and they'll plant a vineyard church in that area. There's about six or seven Vineyard churches actually planted in that area already. Most of those people who are pastoring those churches are um, Mexicans who, um, who have been trained up under the leadership of, of Fred, who is the person who oversees that. And so they've gotten some pieces, but they haven't gotten a lot of training. They haven't gotten anything like the training that you have options to take when we come up here in the fall and you're going to see all the things that you have to choose they don't have anything like that kind of training even for their pastors so we we've gone down and we've done trainings and they are so incredibly grateful we've taught learning to pray like jesus we've taught learning to serve like jesus and we've taught our leadership basics class and every time they say please please come back and i just got an email from fred who's the the um, main leader down there and he said casey your church is welcome here anytime. We would love to see you come down here and teach us on a regular basis. So that is a huge reason why we go. And that is a huge thing that we want to be giving away. In Uganda, it's a little bit different. In Uganda, there isn't yet a vineyard church, but there's about 50 pastors in Uganda who want to be vineyard. That's kind of tricky because lots of times in Africa, White skin means money. And so they see some white people coming in, and whatever it is they're doing, they want to be part of that because they think there's money there. So, and and we, we don't go and, and give away money. We really say we're here and, and we'll give you teaching and see if this feels right to you. See if this, you, you're a good fit for the vineyard. So it's just like we say here to people. We know that we're not the only church in town, we know that there's lots of ways that God's working around and through Duluth, but this is who we are. This is our tribe. And so you've come here and you've said, yep, that's who I am. I'm a part of that tribe. It's the same thing in Africa that we're saying is, test it out. Make sure that this is who you are before we really say yes and we put that vineyard label on the church. So we have um, a couple of, couple of pastors there who have spent a little bit of time now, and they're getting closer and closer to feeling like they can say, yes, this really is, is who I am and what I'm doing. But the tricky thing about Uganda is most of the people in, in Uganda will say and identify that they're Christians. So they have a very high percentage of Christians, but they also have one of the highest percentages of political corruption 
going on. And so, hmm, that's a little red flag, isn't it? Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of legalism there. There's a lot of prosperity gospel, and what I mean by that is the whole idea that um, God wants you to be wealthy. God, God, God wants to heal you, and if you're not getting healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. Those kinds of things. So, so we've got a long road to go there, but I'm really happy to say that I went on an exploratory trip to say, is this something that God is, has for the Duluth Vineyard? Does God want the Duluth Vineyard to partner with the Anaheim Vineyard in California and the Hub Vineyard in Los Angeles and be a part of what God is doing in Uganda? So that was the question that was the forefront of my mind, and I was asking Jesus the whole time I was there. And I came back and felt like it was, and so I talked to Michael, and I, I proposed to the council that, that we do this, that we become partners, and they agreed. And so I'm really happy to say that we've entered into a partnership with the 72 vineyards in Kenya, and the person who oversees that, with the Hub Vineyard in Los Angeles, with the Anaheim Vineyard, and now with the Duluth Vineyard, to say that we're making a 10-year commitment to Uganda, and we're going to be investing in Uganda for the next 10 years. So, yay. You could clap a bucket. <laughs> it's a really good thing. So let me give you one more example of how, how um, necessary these teachings are. And this, this one, again, is from Uganda. So Jamie, who's the pastor of the, uh, one of the pastors at the Anaheim Vineyard, was in a very bad diving accident about six years ago, and he became a quadriplegic. And at some point along the way, Jamie, Jamie was healed. And so he is who was there, and he's telling his story, and he's talking about the already and the not yet, and he's using himself as an example of the already and the not yet, and that while he wasn't even praying to be healed, his three-year-old daughter was, but he wasn't, even praying to be healed. He was just saying, God, what do you have for me? What am I going to do now? What's life going to look like for me now? He was healed. So it wasn't about Jamie's faith. God just healed, right? So Jamie had just shared that. He had just shared that. He'd been talking about vineyard values. He'd been talking about the kingdom of God and the already and the not yet, all those things. And then I come up and I start talking about learning to pray like Jesus, and one of the pastors raises his hand and he says, well, what do you do when you pray for somebody to be healed and they're not healed? And I said, what do you say to somebody in that situation? What, what do you say to somebody? And he said, well, I tell them that they don't have enough faith. And if they have enough faith, that God will heal them. And I said, did Jamie have any faith? No, Jamie didn't have faith for that. This isn't about that. This is, this is about grace. And so we talked a little bit more about that. But this is going to take time. It's going to take time to, to, to get some of those old narratives out and put the new narratives in of the kingdom of God. So one other piece that was uh, more, a little more lighthearted I told them, as we were talking about learning to pray like Jesus, that sometimes when we're praying for people, God will give us unusual pictures of something, and we shouldn't be afraid to say them. And the example I used was that he might give you a picture of purple dancing hippopotamuses. 
And they laughed, and they laughed really hard, and they said, if we tell our people that we are seeing pictures of purple dancing hippopotamuses, they're leaving our church. And I said, well, and I gave them an example and said, you know, sometimes you just have to be brave and you just have to risk it. So we were, um, you know, after, if you've been to Learning Pro Like Jesus, you know that um, after you go through the teaching, then you break into small groups and you practice, right? So we did that. We broke into small groups and we practiced. And in one of the small groups, that happened. Somebody got a picture for somebody else. And they risked it and they said it. And I have to tell you that it was lost in translation to me. But when when we got together in a big group and I asked them, what happened in your small groups? And somebody came, stood up and said that God gave me the, a picture, and it was like the, the dancing hippopotamuses. And I said it, and the guy started to cry. And the guy who was in his group said, yeah. And so, and so he explained, and, and again, I, sometimes you just lose things, and I, don't, I can't explain it to you because I don't know what it was. But um, God is in it, and he's working, and it's just super exciting to see when we take things that maybe if you've been here a long time, you've kind of taken for granted, but it's some pretty awesome stuff. So Luke 12, 28 is the verse that I think of when I think of this. And, and Luke 12, 28 is, from everyone who much has been given, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And I think that that's exactly where we're at here at Duluth Vineyard. So we need to invest in continually giving it away. Well, the second thing that happens when you go on missions trips, and everybody who is here who's been on one, I think, could attest to this, is God challenges you. You know, when, when we walk out of our comfort zone and we say to God, yes, I'm ready, mold me, do whatever it is that you want, I'm ready to, to go and do whatever, he takes us at our word and he does that. And sort of a humorous thing and sort of not a humorous thing is that, um, I hope you can understand what I mean when I say this. In Uganda, almost every potty is a squatty potty, which basically means it's a hole in the ground that you squat over and you try really hard to hit. And if you don't hit it, you splash on yourself. So, it's a little bit of, I mean, I got pretty good at I got to tell you, deep knee bends, and I should probably just keep doing them so that I, <laughs> I will stay good at them. But um, we had a young girl go along with us on this trip. She was nine. She was actually Jamie, who I've talked about, daughter. She was actually the three-year-old who was praying and had faith for her father to be healed. Quite the amazing young lady, I have to tell you. I would not normally recommend a nine-year-old go on a missions trip, particularly a missions trip like this, but this young lady was amazing. I never saw her cry. She had scratched open raw mosquito bites on her, and she felt kind of sick to her stomach the whole time. She said, I said, honey, you are amazing <laughs> to her one day. And she said, Casey, I know Jesus wants me to be a missionary, and so I just have to do these things and be tough. <laughs> so there you go. If you're thinking whether you can do it or not, a nine-year-old could do it. But this funny, funny story is we, we um, were on our way from the airport in Tibby, and we're, we're going to Jinja, and it's kind of a long ride. And so, of course, uh, sweet little Joy, is her name, has to go to the bathroom. So 
we pull off at a gas station, and Joy and I, the old woman, right, has to go. We, so we jump out. I'll go with you, Joy. And we run around to the back, and there's, like, these metal doors, and um, she's, like, really, so she, like, runs up, opens up the door, goes and closes the door. A couple seconds later, she comes out and goes, Casey, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I said, okay. She said, will you come in and show me? I said, okay. <laughs> so I wasn't quite sure I knew how to do it, but <laughs> we figured it out and we worked through it. <laughs> and it ended up, her and I had a lot of uh, really funny potty experiences together. <laughs> <But> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Another little funny physical thing is that every place that we took a shower, we had cold showers, which I don't know, you know, maybe once in my life when I was really young, cold showers sounded like a good idea to me, but I don't, they're just cold. And so um, that was a little bit frustrating. And uh, one place we had a hot shower, but in the one place with a hot shower, and it was really hot and it felt really good and it was really nice, but the water was coming out of a very green, murky lake. And so it, it smelled like a green, murky lake. And it was hot, <laughs> which made it smell even more like a green, murky, hot, watery, showery thing. But anyway, it, you know, it's all good. It's just all part of that stretching sort of thing that, that we go through. But I was actually quite irritated with myself at the thing that kind of kind of bugged me and I felt like God was just really pressing in because that other stuff, honestly, I just think is funny. All, all the physical stuff I just explained to you, I just think it's funny. Um, but I, um, I really like variety in my food choices. I really do. And I've gotten to a point when I turned 40, I realized I had to think a little bit more about what I ate. And so I developed this philosophy that I thought was really wise, which is, to choose my calories wisely, right? So, you know, you got white plain rice sitting over here and white plain bread, and, or you got some, you know, whole grain goodness thing over here. I'm not going to bother with those. I'm going to go with this, right? Or you know what I mean. So that's just kind of my uh, privileged American way of eating, right? Well, I'll tell you what. Everywhere we went, they had the same doggone food. Everywhere we went, all of the time, for however many days that was, two and a half weeks, the same food. They have four different kinds of bananas there, and they fix them lots of different ways. But I got to tell you, in the end, a banana's a banana. <laughs> and I was particularly irritated with myself because I, some of you know, who, who, who know me pretty well, that I went through 40 days of fasting in the spring and I did a fast, um, to, I ate like people in uh, third world countries eat for, for 40 days. And so I ate um, either an apple or a banana, banana, what was I thinking, for breakfast. <laughs> and then I had a cup of beans and rice for, uh, for lunch. And then I have a cup of beans and rice and a potato for dinner. So I did that for 40 days. And I, I did it mostly because I felt like God told me to do it, so, so there was that. But then I also really was hoping, you know, God, help me not be so privileged. You know, get to the core of some of these issues with me. And so I, I went through that by myself and felt like he'd done some stuff. And um, by the way, as just a little commercial, I am planning to, 
to do that as a small group in the fall. It's called um, um, 40 Days of a Place at the Table, 40 Days of Solid Solidarity with the Poor. So if you want to rise to that challenge with me, I'm hoping that going through it in community will help me get a little bit more to the heart of some stuff that God's trying to do with me in that area. But anyway, so there you go. That was just a little brief commercial. But at any rate, I'd gone through that. I, th- I felt like God's been working on this area in my life. And doggone it, if I just didn't get doggone sick of those bananas and that white rice <laughs> awful fast. And so, so there you go. I'm not telling you that is some great uh, victory. Um, but I really, I really... I really want to be that person who isn't that privileged, <laughs> who doesn't feel that privileged. And every time I get a clean glass of water to drink out of my tap, I want to say thank you, Jesus. I want to I be that person. <laughs> and I'm not there yet. So anyway, we always get challenged when we go on these missions trips. And I went to Haiti in 2008 and I don't talk a whole lot about that trip. There was some stuff with that trip that was, that was really, really hard. And, and like I said, I don't generally talk about it very much. And I felt like God said, I want you to share some of that stuff tonight. So I think one of the reasons I don't share, share it is because I feel like it sort of can be uh, maybe a little bit overly dramatic. And I don't like to push those kinds of buttons with people, if, if you know what I mean. So anyway... Um, I went to Haiti, and I went with um, one other person who, who wasn't a believer, a very good friend of mine, Nell. Nell and I, I went to Haiti together, and um, I went there mostly because my son, John, who I think had been there twice at this point, he went there and hung out with these Italian nuns and did clinics and did stuff, and he said, Mom, you got to go to Haiti. It's like nothing I've ever experienced in my life you got to go to Haiti, you got to experience it. So somehow, by the grace of God, UMD paid for me to go to Haiti. I don't know, but <laughs> it worked out, and I ended up going to Haiti while I was still working at UMD and um, worked with these two Italian nuns. We were at a hospital, and then we went out into Wharf Jeremy, which is the poorest of the poor, slums in, um, in Haiti, and ran a clinic out there and um, a little school out there. So that's what we did. But every morning it was the nuns' jobs to um, go to the hospital and wash the babies who had died overnight. So um, I went with the, with the nuns and, and did that with them. And the f- first time I did that, the baby that I had the privilege of washing and getting ready for burial was the same size of my granddaughter at the time, Brett. And all I could think about was my granddaughter, Briette, and why is this baby here? And my granddaughter is healthy and happy at home. And I just had to, I just had to grab hold of Jesus really tight and say, she's in your precious arms, Jesus, right now. And I just had to get that picture set in my mind and move through what it was that I, that I needed to do and walk away and feel like it was a privilege. So that was hard. And it, as if that wasn't hard enough, um, twice we went to the city morgue. And I don't, I, I've never been in a, in a morgue in Duluth or any other city, uh, but a city morgue in, in Haiti is, 
incredibly unpleasant and um, incredibly undignified uh, for, for people who have passed away. And what we were doing there was the, the nuns and the, and the priests and the people who worked with them would make papier-mâché caskets, and they would um, then ask the officials if they could go in and, and could they bury some of, the, some of the people in the morgue and give them a, a dignified burial. So, so that's what we were there to do. Um, we went in and, and walked around and, and through the morgue, which was, I can only say, horrifying. And there, I have no other words for that. Um, the people who were with me, a lot of the people who, who were with me were smoking cigarettes and cigars, even though they don't normally smoke cigarettes and cigars, because the stench was so horrific that you could ha hardly stand it. I found myself walking into their their smoke and inhaling as deeply as I could so I could get the cigarette smoke into my lungs and into my nose instead of what else I, I would be smelling. And again, we, we would put about 20 babies in a coffin, and, and with each baby that I put in the coffin, I just said, Jesus, I know this baby isn't here anymore. I know, I know this baby's in your arms, so you know, help me move through this. And when it came to the adults, it was harder. It was clear that they had died many of them horrific deaths, and um, it was really, really hard. I am confident that I am still processing Haiti and will probably continue to process Haiti for quite some time to come. And I didn't tell you it to, to, I don't know, to tell you some horrific story that I don't generally tell people. I told you it to because what I know is true is that I was able to walk through that and I was able to do what I did because Jesus was standing right next to me and I was holding on as tight as I could. And, and, and I got through it and there are parts of it that I, that I just said, I, I, how do you deal with that? And I, and I shoved it down as far as I could. <laughs> And said, you know, frankly, I don't think I do deal with that. And, and you know what? Jesus hasn't let me forget it. And every once in a while, when he deems it's an important time, he brings some pieces of that back up again. He says, Casey, let's talk about this. We need to do a little bit of healing here. It's an ongoing process. I doubt if I'm done. But that's the kind of stuff that you might encounter when you risk it and when you step out. But I tell you what, it's worth it. It's worth every minute of it. Because that's how you hang on tight when you go through that kind of stuff. So, I'm not done processing Haiti. I'm not done processing Uganda. And I'm sure I'm probably not done processing Mexico stuff and God's gonna keep using that as well. But, so we go, we go to be uncomfortable. <laughs> And let God do whatever he's doing in us. I have never, I've, I counted, I think I've taken 20 people to Mexico with me so far in the trips that I've gone on. And um, I don't think any of those people would, would sit here, and I can see some of you sitting here right now, and say that God didn't do stuff with them. If you go, God's going to do stuff with you. So, so be ready and willing for that to happen. All right, so number three, we go to make a tangible difference in people's lives. I know the saying, don't give people fish when you can teach them how to fish. And I believe it to my very core, I honestly do. 
I believe that if we can teach people to fish, we should do that instead of giving them fish. But there are also times that what it is that we need to do is to give somebody a hot meal or give somebody something like that. And when we go to Masalan, we always go to the dump. I think there's a picture of the dump up there, or there should be in a minute. The people who work at the dump in Masalan, many of them um, work at the dump in Masalan, and then many of them actually live in the, in the lower dump um, there. That is their whole lives. They dig through burning trash in a, in a landfill that smells like burning trash. They're dirty, they're filthy, and they don't have, you know, fancy water bottles that they go fill up somewhere at some spigot, because there isn't one anywhere, to make sure that they're staying well hydrated. And they're n they have nothing that they're bringing with them to eat. So if they get a meal, they get a meal because La Vina, the, the vineyard church in the Golden Zone, brings a bunch of people like us up there, and we give them the money that it costs to, to feed these, these people. And they see us driving up there. You, you, you go in on this. Can you see the? Oh, you can't see the, you can't see the mobile kitchen there. Um, it's this mobile kitchen. It is really, honestly, the coolest pickup truck I've ever seen in my life. It has no, there's nothing in the dash. You know what I mean? Like, there's no speedometer. There's no, see, yeah, you guys are laughing because you remember, right? There's no nothing. And it's like three on the tree. I don't know what year it is. Do you know what year it is, Joe? Okay, 62, something like This is a sweet truck. <laughs> three in the tree, this great pickup truck, and it pulls behind it a mobile kitchen, which is a great big grill, and then, a, you know, just some counter space and stuff. And we go up there, we drive all the way up. You can see that you're up relatively high there. We drive up on top of the, um, the mounds of garbage, and we set up, and we start cooking burgers. And we make 300 burgers and have uh, oranges and burgers and cookies and chips that we put on plates and we hand out to folks. And they see us coming, and they are so happy to see us there because they know they're going to get a hot meal that day. And they line up, and, and they're just super excited to get that hot meal. So there are times when something like that is what Jesus is telling us to do that day. And so that's what we do. So that's one of the things that we do. When we were in Uganda, we, um, had, we had these little journals that we brought, and there weren't enough of them, so we actually ended up cutting them up into small pieces. You can see how small they are there. You would have thought we gave those kids new cars or something. They don't have pencils um, very often. And, and they don't have coloring crayons. This, this age really was about the pencils because they wanted to write about the Bible stories that they heard. So they, they'd hear a Bible story, and then they'd come into to our room, the room that Carlos and I were in, and, then, and they would write. They would write their stories of what they heard. And they were um, so delighted and so thrilled to be writing. They would just write and write and write and write. And then we'd give them these stickers. We had these really sweet stickers. Oh, man. Like they were choosing, I don't know, a diamond ring for their fiancé. You know, they would, I don't know which one. And then they'd put that sticker on there, and they were so proud of it. It was just amazing. Another time that we went to Masatlan, we, we were able to use the money that we had collected here on a Christmas Eve offering and sent to them. Kyle and Ellen were so excited, they said, we're going to wait till you get here. We're going to buy beds 
and, and we're going to make beds. So we actually made bunk beds, bought mattresses, bought pillows, bought blankets, bought sheets, all that stuff. And we went out into the colonial that, that they're living in, and we set up those beds. And, and you have to understand that, like, most of these people live in, in two-bedroom, or two-room, not bedroom, two-room homes. So there's, like, a front room and, a, like, a sort of a kitchen-y kind of room. And that front room might be where the bedroom is. And there might be an, another, be- another room that is where the bedroom is. But you're going to have a family of six easily, and they share a bed. There's only one bedroom. There's only one bed. You don't have to think about that very long to think that that poses some problems, right? And isn't probably the best thing in the world. So for us to be able to go into houses and put up these bunk beds, which, by the way, they did not trust at all. (laughs) They thought their children would be smashed. Kyle climbed up in the bunk beds and shook them to show them that they were safe and their kids could be in them. So Hopefully they're, they're using the bottom bunk too and they're not just storing things in them because they think their children are going to be crushed. But <laughs> sometimes it's really important to show tangible stuff. Uh, another plug. This is one of my favorite books. It's called Hope Lives, A Journey of Restoration. We sell it in the bookstore. If you go on a mission trip with me, I'll make you read this book. Um, if you are at all struggling and wonder, what the heck is going on in this world? Why, does, why are all these people, why do all these people have no clean water and not enough food to eat and we have so much going on and how do I deal with that before a loving God? This book is incredibly helpful. So it's actually a five-week devotional. I want to read to you something from West Stafford. West Stafford is the president of um, Compassion International. And so this is a, a story from him. Mister, are you Jesus? The question from a little Haitian lad I had met on the grimy streets of Port-au-Prince startled me. The sincerity in his dark eyes cautioned me not to take his inquiry lightly. What on earth could have prompted this question? My mind retraced my steps since I met little Jean Prierre that morning. He had been sitting on the curbside outside a local Kentucky Fried Chicken where the restaurant's exhaust vents blasted the smell of fried chicken to mingle with the usual stench of rotting garbage that filled the streets. This little boy was eating a crust of bread as I walked by. Our eyes met, I paused to talk with him, and he explained that if you eat the crust of bread beneath these vents, it makes it taste like chicken. We shared a laugh, and I walked on. Jean-Pierre followed me at a distance. I forgot about him and went about my business. At Madame Sarah's corner, I bought a handful of peanuts for 20 cents. I thanked her and walked off before she could finish digging in her basket for change. I gave the nuts to a beggar who was on the next corner. I got my shoes shined four or five times, not because they needed it, but because it gave me a precious few moments with a child or an old man who needed a kind word and a few cents for their work. My car, likewise, was washed numerous times each day with filthy water that ran down the streets and the gutters. Each occasion gave me an excuse to joke with the child who graced me with his industriousness, a generous tip, a hug, an exaggerated admiration at the splendor of my shiny new car, and a word about how he had done the very best and he was the best car washer in the whole city, and then I pressed on. Jean-Pierre had clandestinely taken all of this in and had come to the conclusion 
that a man who did these sorts of things must, in fact, be Jesus. What a mistake. What an honor. And what an opportunity. The fourth reason we go on missions trips is to build relationships and to pray for other people. All right, so if you know me at all, you know that I am like the queen of relationships. I love this part. <laughs> I love that I get to go back to Masalan year after year and see the same pastors, and I get to talk to them again, and I get to pray for them, and I ask them about the things that Jesus is pressing, them, pressing in the, on them about, and we get to continue that relationship. I love that I now know the leaders in their church, and I know their names, and they know my name. I love that I even know the faces of lots of the little kids, and I get to go and see how much taller they are and get excited about how much bigger they are every time I go. I love that piece. I'm really excited about that piece. Um, with Uganda as well. So every time we go to Mexico, we make sure that we pray for the pastors. <clears throat> the first time we went to Mexico, it had been a while since anybody had been there, and Kyle and Ellen practically followed us along behind us that last night because they wanted to make sure they got really good prayer from us one more time. So they, we had gone to, to dinner with, with everybody. We'd taken everybody out to dinner, and then Kyle and Ellen said, can we come back to your hotel room? Will you pray for us one more time? And will you bless our children? So they came up to their hotel room, and, and we got to pray for them one more time, and we got to, to bless their two little kids. And it was just so sweet. And it's such an honor and such a privilege to get to do that, to get to go someplace and to build those relationships and to pray for people like that. We had some pretty profound times of prayer while I was in Africa this last time. One of them was we, we uh, Jamie led a, a service time on Sunday night, and he had all of the children come up, come forward, and, and it was, these were all the kids who go to the school there. So the, um, there's about 100 kids, so we had all the, the kids come up and laid ha hands on them, prayed for them, prophesied over them, and then said to the children, you go out now into this congregation and you go and pray for every single person sitting out there. And the people, the adults, didn't know what to do, right? <laughs> About with that, they just weren't used to that. It wasn't like, it's not part of their culture. But I tell you what, those kids knew that they were on a mission, and they knew what their job was, and their job was to go and pray for people, and they took it so seriously. And it was the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just amazing to see them be empower empowered to go and do that and know that they can do that and that that's what Jesus is called to do them. So that do for them to do. That was really sweet. And we had another time when we had all of the pastors, um, there were about 30 pastors who were there, and Carlos, who's from the Hub Vineyard, um, taught on, on forgiveness, forgiving and unfor having unforgiveness in your heart. And at the end, he led all of us through a time of just opening our hearts up to anyone that, that we needed to forgive that we hadn't forgiven. And oh my gosh, it was huge. So many of these pastors said that they had been so hurt by the people in their church and they had never forgiven those people. We spent hours praying for them, praying them through hurt after hurt after hurt. And it was amazing because it was 
not maybe what we expected, you know, I don't know, stuff in your family or that kind of stuff. It was the church, having been hurt by the church. And it was incredibly powerful. So that's another reason we go. So I, I, um, I named this presentation, Missions, The Art of Being Squeezed and Having Jesus Come Out Instead of Me. So my last story is, um, is a story of me seeing that, that happen. And it wasn't me, it was somebody else. But um, it was really amazing. And, and it started out by us going, we went into the slums and we broke up into, into groups and went into the slums to pray for the children who live in the, the slums to go to their home and to pray with their families and to pray for them in their homes. And, and so we, we went in groups out into the slums, and, um, and did that. And one of the groups um, that had, had gone out came upon a man being beaten to death. And he was being beaten to death because he was a thief. And in the slums of Kampala, there are no police officers. And so they take matters into their own hands. And particularly when they find a thief, that's generally what they do, is they... A mob circles around them, and, and they beat that person to death. So this person was being beaten with hammers, was being uh, uh, whipped with tires, being hit with rocks, and they were trying to light him on fire. So, so that was what was happening when Dave, who was a part of our group, Dave is 58 years old, and he is from California, but he's been living in Kenya for four years, and he runs an orphanage in Kenya for young boys who um, are sniff glue on the streets. They live on the streets, and they sniff glue. So th that's what he does, and he was leaving them and spent the two and a half weeks with us, and um, really an, a quite an amazing man. So, so this is going on, and Dave runs in to the middle of this crowd of people who are stoning and beating this man, intent on killing them, and throws his body over this man and begins to take, take hits himself. But at the same time, people are like, you know, kind of backing up and going, wait, what's, what's this mazunga, mazungo, mazungo, which is what they call uh, white people. Um, you know, what's, what's this guy doing? What's this guy doing? And they end up kind of getting the guy away from Dave, and they're kind of dragging the guy, and Dave is, you know, trying to protect him and, and can't. And so Dave goes down on his knees and, and puts up his hands and cries out to God and says, God, save this man. And he's, he's, he's crying out to God, and they are so taken aback whatever it was, you know, the power of God came, the Holy Spirit surrounded him, whatever exactly happened in the heavenly realms, I don't know, but they left the man alone, the man that they were trying to beat. And then some other people came and helped that man get away and said, get out of here and don't ever come back. So, so, the, man, so the man was saved, which is about the clearest example I can imagine of somebody responding the way Jesus would respond in a situation. Um, and Dave later came back and, you know, got prayers for his, his uh, bumps and bruises and all those kinds of things that happened to him. But what happened the next Sunday, we were told by Edward, who's the pastor of the church that's right there in the slums, we then went off and 
to other places and, and did other things. This was relatively early in, in our trip. But Edward came to meet us before we went to the airport. He, he, he got a hold of Jamie and said, I want to talk to you guys. I want to tell you what happened, and I want to see you before you go to the airport. So we met him before we went to the airport. And he said the church was full the next Sunday because people had heard about the God that saved the man who was a thief. And they came to church. That's pretty sweet, right? Yeah. Yeah. When we're willing to take a risk, when we're willing to be where God wants us to be and do what he wants us to do, amazing things happen. So, let's have some ministry time, all right? Because I think that Jesus has got some stuff to do with us, too, here. All right? Because this isn't just about Casey's stories. He's doing stuff here. So if the ministry or the worship team would come back up, that would be fabulous. Why don't you stand up, okay? So when I was um, preparing for this time, I I felt like God told me several different things about people who were going to be here tonight and things that he wanted to to bring up and he wanted to do in people. So I just want to spend a little bit of time right now just asking God to come and then um, let's just see what he has for us, okay? So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would be here. Would you make our hearts right now so soft and pliable, so ready to hear what you have to say to us? I felt like there was stuff that maybe like my Haiti stuff whether it's that dramatic or not that dramatic doesn't make any difference that there's some some of you guys here that you stuffed it because that was the only way you get through it and God's saying I want to I take a peek in that box now I want to open that up and I want to do some work So, Papa, would you just go to those places? Would you go to those old old things that we've stuffed down in there pretty deep? And would you just put your finger on them even now? And we just call them what they are. And I think for some of you, there's, there's even sensory stuff. So like for me, there's just a certain weight in my hands that's the weight of that baby that will bring me right back there. There's some of that kind of stuff. Smells, um, tactile kinds of things that God just wants to, he just wants to go to those places he just wants to heal him. And I felt like when I was praying about this that he gave me two distinct 
items, smells that, um, that I needed to mention. And one is dog food, and one is toothpaste. So if that means anything to you at all, would you let Jesus do what it is he wants to do with you? And I also feel like for some of you, gosh, you've been awful comfortable. And God just really wants you to take you, take you out of that comfort place. He's got so much to teach you and so much to show you. He wants you to get up off the couch and turn off the television set. And even if you're not ready to go overseas, he wants you to go out on those street teams that we have going out. He wants you to get up on Saturday mornings and come and serve it through the vine. He just wants you to, to get out of yourself. So if we could have some ministry team people come, that would be great. And if you guys want to go ahead and play. If God's speaking to you about any of these things, then come forward and deal with them, all right? All right. One, one more thing here. Um, if you, uh, we want to pray for physical healing as well. Good. And so, especially if you have... Uh, um, like a bad back, or uh, if you've been diagnosed in any way with cancer, uh, any kind of physical healing uh, we want to pray for. And so come right over here to this corner, and uh, we'll pray for you. We believe that God loves to heal us, and so whatever's going on that way, we'd love to pray for that as well. Awesome.